Shock Tower, the real NBA fantasy NBA hybrid podcast brought to you by my two friends, Kyle Stein, Jalen Utsi, and me, Michael Kimball. We are here in week 14, and the big subject this week is once again the NBA. In the East, the Bucks, still the Bucks, hasn't really changed. In the West, also not much has changed, except I have a question for both of you. Who's the hottest team in the NBA right now? Jazz. Nope. No. The Grizzlies? The Grizzlies. Seven-game win streak. Over what time period are we counting it? Because I think probably the Jazz still over the last 11 games would have a better record. Uh, You might go back and look. How many games have the Jazz lost in that time span? I think the... Memphis Grizzlies have lost two. I'd say they're nine and two over the last eleven. That's a good question. We'll we'll, we'll follow so back. That, on that. maybe may not it may be the Jazz. It may not be the Grizzlies. I didn't even look at the Grass Jazz. I saw the um uh, the Bucks have a six game win streak right now. The uh, Grizzlies have a seven. Um, but there have just been some surprise teams playing well, and we'll get that a little bit later today with the. Uh, Grizzly Pelicans matchup. Um, but first, before we go any farther, uh, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It is one of the best regular season days in the NBA. Almost everybody is playing. League pass is free this week. So uh, a lot of good stuff happening. You have games today from 2 p.m. Eastern all the way to 10, 1030, something like that. So a whole lot of basketball. Um, Before we get into our rundown for the week, I just want to touch base. Uh, Last week, we talked about David Stern. Um, We covered the the good parts, the bad parts, some ugly parts. Um, One of the things I talked about uh, maybe too extensively is how many teams uh, and team owners Owners, uh, now team governors, were um, pocket votes for David Stern back then. Um, Want to call out the David Stern Memphis Grizzlies Association a bit more. Um, found a bunch of stuff I just did not know about. But after the holiday was established in 1986 and Stern was on that commission, um, uh, the league has always um, had uh given some attention to this day and the very first mlk day in the nba was 2003 the 35th anniversary of the assassination in memphis stern was always a really big supporter of this some people make sense of it by saying the grizzlies play on mlk day just as the lions and the nfl play on thanksgiving day so i just want to call that out as a, a very good thing and an associated thing that happened last night patty mills is the second indigenous australian to play in the NBA, and he helped start the NBA Indigenous Night, the first of which was last night in San Antonio. So um, some good things happening uh, in all of that in the NBA, and now we are... Can, can yeah. you tell, who was the first Indigenous player in the in the NBA, if Patty Mills was the second? Yeah, it was in the article. I've already forgotten. I'm oh. it now. Probably some time back. I think it was a while. Um, yeah, I mean, related to this, I think, um, in the podcast that we were talking about, uh, last week and with Henry Abbott and Ethan Sherwood Strauss, um, they talked about David Stern had this sort of fealty, this, um, loyalty to these smaller markets, which Ethan called out as potentially poor business decisions, but, you know, 
that fealty to those markets gave us the Memphis Grizzlies and grit and grind and like, you know, just a pairing of community um, ethos with like team ethos, which is, I think, rare in sports and is something that like I think anyone would enjoy and appreciate and is like a way in which, um, you know, people say sports is a business and entertainment business that fans need to know, uh, need to think is not a business. But I mean, I don't really think it matters that much when it comes to the Grizzlies and the grit and grind era, um, you know, to see a sports team take on the identity of a community truly um, yeah. uh, and, and feel that is, is, is powerful and enjoyable and not something that, you know, hyper rational takes can, can uh, destroy. And it also gave us the hottest team in the NBA right now, which is the Utah Jazz, 11-1 and one over their last 12. And it's unclear what their new nickname will be, but I assume it will be something very, very good in the near future. Has anybody seen a good suggestion yet? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, we have Jaw, so we have the J there. We have Triple J. That, that yeah. tandem is going to be a huge part of this. I don't know where the name's coming from, but it's got to be something. Yeah, Kyle, you're pointing out that the the Jazz are the hottest team in the NBA. The Grizz are the hottest team in our hearts, which is more important. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it will always be that way. Um, But so these are the two hottest teams, the Grizzlies, the Jazz. Kyle, earlier you brought up the Jazz before we were recording um, in our group thread. Um, Here come the Jazz. Mike Conley's back. They made the first trade uh, of the NBA trade season, which has benefited them greatly. What's your take on their rise? You know, one of the most interesting speculative tweets that I saw reading about the Jazz this week was the idea that when Conley comes back, that he might be best suited to be a sort of super sixth man because their offense has rated – over the over the period when he's been out, their um, their starting five has rated as the best offense in the NBA, and uh, people are asking whether Conley should be injected back into that starting lineup um, or whether they should try to leave it as is. Um, I mean, do you really think that they could do that? I mean, partially just a, a veteran player like him. It, it, I mean, I think Conley would accept the role. He, he, he grumbled a bit with his limited role coming back uh, from injury with the Grizzlies last year. But it seems odd to me if the, if, if the Jazz are truly going to top out how good they can be. Don't they have to have him in the starting lineup? Well, that was my thought too. I feel like they have some like diminishing returns likely with this starting lineup, even as good as, you know, the, the, the starting lineup that's been rated so highly while he's been out. Right. You you figure that teams are going to find a solution to it at some point. And especially when it comes to the playoffs, when rotations shorten that you just need your best players on the court. Who's taking his minutes in the starting lineup right now? Is it Royce O'Neal? I mean, yeah. Who was starting at the one? Ingles is starting now, um, but I I think Ingles may have been starting already when he was uh, still healthy. But yeah, Ingles and Royce O'Neal, I think, are the two guys who are in the starting lineup now. One of them would have to come out, I think, if Conley uh, was to come back in. But it's interesting because I feel like. The Jazz, the Jazz are interesting um, for so many different reasons. And I, I came, we were texting in the group chat, and I was saying I was going to come on and po- apologize to the Jazz fans for uh, berating them for their um, 
their we don't get enough love shtick and there's you know constantly aggrieved attitude and i thought i was going to do that and then i changed my mind after some research <laughs> um well but before, but before too long we i or at least i gave them love in our preseason previews i called them out as a dark horse and they've been terribly disappointing so i'm glad to see it come around in a way there is a tiny bit of love here i would like that love to grow is it have they really been that dis i mean they were disappointing at the beginning of the season but they're like a game behind the clippers right now and with you know jamal murray going down in denver i feel like that two seed is very much up in the air and the jazz are playing as well as anyone paul george yeah. still isn't healthy the clippers will be enduring some more load management as the season goes on and so i could see the the jazz pulling into the number two spot by the end of this yeah, the Jazz are 29 and 13 right now. Uh, they're fourth in the West. They are tied for the fourth best record in the league uh, in either conference. Um, and I think I think they're legit. But the interesting thing is the Jazz acquired Mike Conley in order to give themselves a primary ball handler playmaker type to up their ceiling in the playoffs and now they're playing their best with Mike Conley on the bench or Mike Conley injured uh, and Joe Ingles is back being their like primary secondary ball handler which was the problem already in the first place like if Joe Ingles is your best or 1A 1B um or, or even your second best uh primary ball handler playmaker I feel like your ceiling is not going to be as high as it needs to be to win a championship. So it, it's a conundrum, I, I think, in some ways. Well, the Jazz, and the, the, this is significant for the Grizzlies too, they actually have some of the more difficult strength of schedule remaining. Um, they're ranked both in the top 10. Which is interesting, though, because the Jazz usually start pretty slow in the first half, and they usually kill it in the second half leading into the playoffs. So if that holds true, you know, maybe that works out even better if they're beating good teams in the second half of the season. That'd build um, a lot of confidence. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's interesting. I think the Jazz bring me to another point. You know, the Jazz, and this is probably true also of the Bucks in a smaller capacity and in a different way. But there are these teams that um, maybe they have, you know, they have a best player. Uh, in the case of the Bucks, they have a superstar. But I think a lot of these teams are a lot more similar to, like, the Pistons uh, and their run, which was more collective. Like, I don't yeah. think you would say that the Jazz have anyone that's like a top five, top ten player on the roster. You know, Rudy Gobert is a top five defensive player, and that's key. But like the Pistons had a top five defensive player also uh, right. in Ben Wallace. So it's sort of like these teams that are built more on like the collective and how that works, works how that fits, and whether or not that's enough to get them over the hump. Is I think really the biggest trouble that they'll have is they don't have a Rasheed Wallace. I think Rashid was maybe overlooked. I mean, Rashid you know, is all a his monster. Con- Tim all Duncan his conditioning. said Rashid was better than him, and he just didn't, you know, have the same dedication or focus. You know, like yeah, Tim Duncan has say. said, Rashid is was like one of the best players ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what I was. The, the reason why I jokingly said that I was like coming in to apologize is because I think the Jazz, in many ways, are similar to the team they were before uh, last year. I, like the team they were last year, I think they're maybe a better shooting team. Uh, they're leading the league in three point percentage right now, but they're only at 16th in attempts. Um, and I think the loss of Derek Favors has hurt them. They're all the way at. Um, 
they're way at the bottom of the league. They're 27th in blocks per game, which is not something you'd expect with Rudy Gobert on the roster. So I think that yeah. speaks to um, Ed Davis sort of not holding up the backup uh, center position very well. So I think their defense is maybe like uh, a tick lower. Um, I don't remember exactly what it is. They're ninth in offensive rating and ninth in defensive rating. They're seventh in net rating on the year. So maybe their defense is slightly worse, you know, Guys like uh, Bo- Bohan, Boyan are not the best defenders. Obviously, Ed Davis is not the best defender. Conley, you know, has a reputation as a great defender, but he's getting older. Um, so, I mean, I think maybe there's some slippage on the defensive end and some, like, better shooting. Um, and put they, I think they hope a better offensive ceiling, which I think is real if all the pieces fit. But yeah, I do kind of just think that, like, I, yeah, I just kind of feel like it's going to be the same old story. What happens when if they play the Clippers somehow, which maybe they won't because of the matchups, but like what happens when Joe Ingles gets pressured on the ball and his ball handling skills become a, an issue? You know what? You know, how much can you count on Mike Conley to be that uh, primary scorer, playmaker type? Um, so I don't know. I still have questions, but they they are a well-constructed team. You know, they take the right shots for the most part. They prevent teams from getting a lot of threes. They prevent teams from getting to the free throw line. They're obviously shooting it well. As I said, uh, Donovan Mitchell is playing better. He's he's killing it in the mid-range, which is like, you know, an inefficient shot, but you're going to need that shot in the playoffs. Um, he's like 52% from 10 to 16 feet this season. So, they're a real team, um, and I think my questions are fair, but not, like, irrational. I, I actually – the reason why I brought up the Rashid thing is because I actually think they do compare favorably to the, those Pistons championships teams up and down the lineup. Um, if you put your, your Boyan – mispronounced that before. If you compare Boyan to Tayshon, and then the two guards, I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley – easily compared to those other two guards and then Rudy Gobert and Ben Wallace. I mean, that's a, you know, I think that's a very comparable lineup. They just miss the really stretch four. Yeah. Uh, shot yeah. blocking, you know, covering stretch four. they like every man type of player that Rashid could be. They just don't, they don't have that one piece to bring it all together. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like I think Royce O'Neal is good, but maybe isn't big enough to, to guard the best fours maybe in the league or the best threes, you know, they don't really have a, a wing stopper. Uh, they don't have a backup center. They don't have that four. you know, George Niang is playing a lot of four and he's shooting the three really well, but you obviously don't expect much from him on the defensive end. So I think that's a great point. Moving on in the West, uh, all from also from our group thread, um, Kyle, gleefully, uh, as I read it, the Lakers continue to win and the Rockets <laughs> continue to lose. <laughs> I don't know if it's gleefully. You know that I've, I've, been, like... I've been behind James Harden for the last <laughs> couple of years. I mean, partly because I saw him as an antidote to the Warriors. But Oh, let's have this conversation. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are ready because I think I've soured quite a bit. Um, I, you know, just... It really feels, you know, the, I feel like a lot of the reading on Twitter right now is that the, and and some of this is is, um, you know, not just conjecture. It actually has to do with like the number of minutes that they're playing. But the but the Rockets are tired. Um, James Harden and PJ Tucker are playing too many minutes. And they're they're banged up. They're run down. Um, and I think 
the other read that people have on it is that they one one that I saw was that they're like a championship team a couple years after they won <laughs> that they never won and I I feel that that is actually a closer it's, to closer to the reading because it's like it's so sad it's, it's, it's the saddest thing I've heard you say but it's not just the Rockets it's also yeah. because they brought yeah. in another player who had that same dynamic it and it's really tragic um I I I don't know if I really want to get into it in the way you do Jalen, I mean, I feel like you may, may be a little happier about the situation, but um, but I I am I'm I'm here to I, I'm here ready for critique. Let's hear yeah. something, Jalen. So I mean, okay, so I mean, I saw that tweet also. I think that tweet is super accurate. I think that's exactly how the Rockets feel. They seem old. They seem tired. Um, all of their guys are sort of like uh, Ethan Strauss has been saying this for years. They're all sort of like guys who you might expect to be a little bit overweight uh, quickly after they retire because they're more heavy set <laughs> guys like PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon. Um, but that's that's what allowed them to have this switch everything defense and guard up. But it's also, I think, you know, coaches and general managers always want you to lose weight as you age because, you know, you're just, you just can't carry around as much weight. Um, and so I don't want to like go down some weight conversation, but I do feel like that's a part of it. They seem tired. They seem old. Uh, James yeah. Harden continues to play a ton of minutes all the time. His last, you know, shooting lines, he's eight for 20 against the Lakers, three for 12, 13 for 37, eight for 17, five for 17, nine for 34, 13 for 24, 10 for 17. Like he's, he's had games of six turnovers. He had a game of 11 turnovers. He had a game of eight turnovers recently. Wow. So, like, the fatigue is clearly there. Something's clearly not right with them. And what's odd is that Westbrook has kind of been playing well as they've been faltering. Um, And in that first half against the Lakers, that was maybe the best, most controlled Westbrook game I've seen in a while. He he promptly ruined it in the second half, but um, his Did line he ruin it, or does the credit go to Kuzma, where everybody was talking about Kuzma took on this second half challenge, which seems sort of silly to me. Like, yeah, go guard a guy, but yeah, I mean, I, was it Kuzma, Kuzma good, or was it Westbrook? I mean, I think Kuzma did a good job, and I think it was a change because he was just abusing whoever was guarding him, like Caruso and whatever guard gotcha. they put on him. He was he was abusing them in the post, and then they put Kuzma more size on him, and he wasn't able to get to that shot. And it yeah. seemed like he kind of didn't really counter as quickly as he needed to. But it also seemed like the Rockets kind of just let go of the rope. Um, they started playing with like a ton of emotion, which is like always an issue for Westbrook. Like it, it might save you, it might ruin you. Uh, you never know with him. Um, and then like there was like a stretch of like six charges in a row like where <laughs> both teams were like flopping and trying to draw charges it was it was a weird game and i it felt like the rockets just kind of like they were ahead and they were in control and then they had this charge thing this flop fest and then they just lost lost complete control all that to say my main point on james harden is like People talk about why the ratings are down, and I'm not saying this is why the ratings are down, but like if you're if you're a hardworking person, right? You're working one job, two jobs. You're trying to make ends meet, and you you're a Houston Rockets fan. How could you root for James Harden? The Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, Tillman Fertitta, James Harden, Russell Westbrook—they claim to want to win a championship, but they're not 
willing to alter their behavior in a way yeah. that would align with winning a championship. It's like if you want to be a, offensive if you, diversity. Yeah, I mean offensive diversity, but also like, hey Westbrook, stop shooting threes. Hey James Harden. <laughs> After you pass the ball, you can cut to the basket. You can <laughs> you don't have to stand in the same spot. Hey, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, you can play defense. You can get back in transition. Like, it's just it's just like I, they're they're seventeenth in defensive rating with one hundred nine point two defensive rating. Um, they're twenty ninth in the league in opponent fast break points, which is clearly. Clearly a result of Harden and Westbrook not getting back half the time. Like, there's no other reason for that. Like, they don't have a whole bunch of other star players on the roster. Every other player on the roster has to do nothing but shoot threes and play defense to the best of their abilities. Like, it's just, I'm just, I almost tweeted, like, uh, the other night uh, during the Lakers game. I was like, I was going to tweet. I didn't. But I was like, I tried to like James Harden. I really did. <laughs> is this the end of the Rockets as we know them? It can, can it go on like this? How many more years of switching out a piece and watching it fail again are we going to get to watch? I don't know. Someone else over. talk. I think it's. Over. I, <laughs> I really do. I think it's over. I I think that this is the end. They the the move for West Westbrook put them in such a financially inflexible position that if this doesn't work, there's nowhere else that they can really go. And it, it it's going to have to blow up somehow. Harden taking the ball up and having four shooters basically immobile around him worked well as a counter to the Warriors for a couple of years, and they won a lot of games. Um, mm -hmm. No one's going to doubt that. It is not a sexy way to play basketball. And... When a team isn't winning, I'm sure that the people standing around have a hard time understanding why it is that they're doing it. And I think that it could collapse really rapidly when people you know, realize that they're not getting their due and for nothing. Right. Yeah, it's 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 tough to watch. Um, every uh, person predicting the future of the West is saying, you know, this isn't the Rockets' year. Um, I'm not sure it's the Rockets' um, future either. Um, do you have any more gleeful pronouncements about the Lakers, Kyle? I mean, you know, they're playing really I, well. Everything out there. Can they be beaten? Can they be beaten? Um, I like KCP with his um, social media swagger this week. Um, I mean, he's looked great on the court too. Well, that's so why making like, yeah, that's why you have the social media swagger. That's the reason why Richard <laughs> Sherman can have it today too. Cause he's doing stuff. Right. Right. So, yeah. um, do you have something else, Jalen? Oh, I mean, just to finish out on the Rockets, even though I filibustered enough there, uh, they lead the NBA in three-pointers made with 630, uh, but they're 21st in three-point percentage. So their philosophy is to take a lot of threes and they don't shoot threes very well. They've also built a team uh, which, you know, which can switch everything in theory, but you can also punish them on the offensive glass um, because they don't really, they didn't really value things as much as like rebounding and toughness and all these old school type of things that 
GMs wrongly or rightly say you need to have on a roster. They're 23rd in opponent second chance points allowed. Um, so I don't know. It, they're the same team, but it feels like worse. You know, you can beat them up on the offensive glass. You can score on them in transition because they don't want to run back. Um, Harden is like a little off right now. I'm sure he'll come around, but like they also just they don't have the same shooters. Gerald Green isn't around for all his defensive issues. He could still knock down the three. Air Gordon is back, but he doesn't look like his best. So I don't know. I'm nervous for yeah. them. You know, Capella's been playing really well. And as I'm hearing you talk, though, I'm like, he's the one asset that I feel like they have that they could try something where they yeah. just where they just do something to try to stop whatever this spiral is that they're in. I yeah. think it would be a terrible move. I mean, the times when he wasn't on the court against the Lakers, that's actually how the KCP swagger came out was because um, D'Antoni takes Capella off the court. And Vogel counters by bringing KCP on, and the Lakers put four shooters around LeBron, and he just torches them. Yeah, and I mean, he played really well in the first half. I don't know if he played as well in the second half, but like, I don't. I kind of feel like Capella gets scapegoated for the Rockets, and it's like he's the. I don't like. You can't scapegoat the one guy who's main job is to play defense and rebound and do all the dirty work. Um, and does well. Yeah, and he has deficiencies, sure, but it would help if the people who are guarding on the perimeter could stay in front of their man, uh, cough, cough, James <laughs> Harden, you know, like, I don't know, man. I mean, you know what I would like? I would like to see Capella on a team that has a better defensive identity and better perimeter defenders around them and see how much of a monster he would be. Yeah, that'd be fun. Capella to the Hawks. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> so one They'd last time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one last uh, team in the West that we mean to discuss, and it's the Portland Trailblazers. We're going back to our trade market discussion. They sent out Bazemore and Tolliver to the Kings for Ariza, uh, Swanigan, and Gabriel. Uh, and the Kings got the two second-round picks, too, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm not sure I am. Um, not all that interesting of a trade on the face of it, but it seems to me and to all of the NBA journalists out there that this is a preparation for another trade. Any thoughts? Save them significant luxury tax dollars. Um, I don't sure. know. I, f I feel like Swanigan might be the piece. <laughs> <laughs> not a reason. No, I'm 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 joking, but I was I was trying to I was I was comparing the parts going from one team to the other, and I imagine Swanigan going in as the new Anthony Tolliver, which he'd love to do because it, it, the, he loves to shoot threes. It's one of the reasons why um, he got yanked so many times in his early career um, was his love to shoot threes. That should be fun. I mean. It's amazing, speaking of Anthony Tuller, it's amazing he's as good of a shooter as he is. I think he shoots on the way down uh, on his jump shot, which is <laughs> not what is supposed to happen, but he's still really good at shooting threes. But yeah, I mean, as far as the trade, I think the Blazers saved $12.3 on the deal. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that out. Um, it's Yeah, it was two second-round picks to Sacramento, um, Ariza, Wenyan Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan to the Blazers, and then Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver to the Kings. And I think the tax considerations are probably the main thing. Um, although I think you could make an argument that like Ariza might 
be just as good as Bazemore, maybe. Bazemore is much more expensive and wasn't really having a huge impact on them winning. So, I mean, I think... Ariza has looked good in limited minutes with the Kings for a couple of weeks, so... Yeah, I... I think I think they could probably feel decent about that, and and uh, Ariza is on a, like a partial guarantee, I think, for next season. So they'll have him for next year. Right. Um, whether that is a good thing or not, I guess remains to be seen. Defensive wing, I think he can still play. A little slow, but he can still play. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, all right, moving on to the East, also some from our group thread, uh, I, I will have to be the counter here because I think both of you guys are going to take this, the Bucks, the most boring super team in basketball. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was my thought, but Kyle, do you share this opinion? I'm curious, or it was just so like out of left field to you. It wasn't out of left field for me, and you weren't the only person I've heard talk about a sort of lack of luster around them. Um, I'll confess that being in Rome, I haven't watched as much NBA as I would usually, and I, you know, I don't know if I have a good enough feel for their playing style. When I see them, they're blowing teams out so often that I don't really know if I get how all the pieces fit. Um, I'd like to see them in some strong competitive basketball that we'll get to see in the playoffs. And then I could make a further judgment then, but, uh, you know, just having a one-star team is so different from what we're used to seeing that there could just be a story factor to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. The other thing I'm wondering is, is the bucks, the big question for the bucks as well as they're playing right now is how well will they play in the playoffs? And it's, you know, a version of what you just said, Kyle, um, I'm going to predict the Bucks are going to be a much better playoff team this year. There's some things going on um, in in the team, some player development stuff that's happening. Eric Bloodsoe is shooting much better than he has in the past. There have been some uh, changes in his form, courtesy apparently of Kyle Korver. Ooh. Uh, and so the, there's I love the idea that that's the reason that they brought in Kyle Korver was just to fix, <laughs> fix everybody's jump shot. Well, apparently he's been helping the jump shot of multiple guys on that team. And he just has a different shot fixing approach than a lot of other is shot it, doctors. Is it, the thing where he, is it the thing where he carries weights underwater? <laughs> it's not that it's simply being open to shooters being able to shoot multiple ways and particular shooters can have an odd approach and do it well as long as they can do it consistently and what uh corver gave blood so was a, a, a really tiny adjustment as i understand it with his elbow that has created a much more consistent shot for him so It's sort of an interesting development. Um, You know, I think that inconsistency for Bledsoe in the playoffs could be showing up in that sort of situation. And if it's the anxiety of the playoffs, that's going to heighten the inconsistency. I'm hopeful there could be a change there. The other thing I want to say about the Bucs before we write them down too far, they're still fun to watch. They have fun. They have fun playing together, and that's really fun to watch. So whether they're going to win or lose the game, maybe that's boring, but they're still fun to watch on the court. Uh, 
Yeah. So I guess what my my counter would be: Would you rather watch the Bucks or the Memphis Grizzlies? The Memphis Grizzlies, easy. Like it's not even a question, right? Okay, I, mean, would, I can would, give you I, I can give you ten teams I'm watching before the Bucks. <laughs> <But> like, it, <laughs> like it's not even about the fact that they're blowing out teams. Again, okay, I was a Warriors fan, so I'm coming at this from a different perspective. So like when the Warriors were blowing out people, it was exciting to me because Steph was hitting 13 threes and crazy things were happening. But maybe that's not a, maybe that wasn't exciting to people either uh maybe people were just hate watching it but the, but nobody's hate watching the books either that's the thing um it's like <laughs> right it's and and i don't know i feel like the bucks conversation goes in so many different directions right so it's like the bucks and the jazz their fan bases are are constantly saying maybe they don't get enough attention and specifically with the with the books they feel like major media outlets specifically espn is sort of like the only thing they talk about is Giannis's free agency and where he's going to go in free agency which i can understand if you're a bucks fan how that could be upsetting and annoying and yeah they're they're a historical team they're on pace to win 70 games like we should be talking about them we should be appreciating them but i do i don't think this is just like an aesthetic thing uh which obviously can be an opinion i think there is something tangible to the fact that the bucks are less exciting i think the fact that they have one star matters um i think the fact that their second faux star doesn't have a super exciting game um i called it like sedated precision uh on twitter <laughs> like it's like sure. yeah i, I uh, like chris, that. Middleton, chris middleton's gonna come around the screen and knock down some shots he's gonna wiggle his way into the lane and hit his in-between shots it's just it's not super exciting you know um i think there's something tangible to all that and also you, I would say that Brooke Lopez, even though he's not the second best player on the team, he's the second most important player on the team because he's the key to their defense. He anchors their defense, which is the thing that gives them a chance to win every single game they go into, even if they're not knocking down their threes. And and Brooke Lopez's greatest strength um, on the defensive end is being massive and standing like in front <laughs> of the basket, which on its face is just not an exciting thing to watch. You know, sure. Like he just he just walls up the paint. He, he you know, he uses his verticality. No one can score in the paint. No one even gets in the paint. And sometimes uh, when they were playing the Warriors a couple uh, a couple games ago, the Warriors like they couldn't even get to the rim. Like everyone would dribble into the paint, see Brooke Lopez there and veer out like. But and that I doesn't say much. I mean, the the Warriors don't have ball handlers. Oh, that doesn't say much, except <laughs> the, the Bucks are like tops in the league in their second in the league, I think, in. No, I think they're first in the league in defensive rating, and they're, like, probably top five in points allowed in the paint. It's like they're doing that to everyone is what I'm saying. Well, but they might do it spectacularly against other teams because it'll get closer to the basket and it'll lead to block shots and all kinds of great defensive plays. I don't think there's anything spectacular about a seven-footer being tall and standing in front of the paint. In front of the Putting his arms up and not (laughs) jumping very high. It's just not not like he's he's jumping 10 feet in the air and blocking. I don't know. I feel like 30 30 to 50 years of NBA history resists you saying that. (laughs) Well, the the so you mean even when though the I, games were on tape delay. <laughs> so Fair. even though I was going to take the counter on this, I am now going to present an objectively um, uh, boring uh, observation here. The other thing that's happening because they have both Lopez brothers now, and because Robin Lopez anchors that second unit, they're playing the exact same system in a way they weren't last year. So it's the same system, first unit and second unit now, which may be more boring. The other thing I would say, though, as much as it might be boring to watch the movements that 
the Lopez brothers are making in that position in front of the rim, they're both having a heck of a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like that. Yeah, also, the, Jalen, do you have something against brothers? Is, is are <laughs> brothers boring to you? No, brothers aren't boring to me. I just, I don't, I don't, I, like I said, I think this is my opinion. And I also think there's a credence to it. Like the Bucks are first in opponent points in the paint at they're only allowing 38.3. They're first in defensive rating. Like they're doing this to everyone. And this is what I'm saying. I think that they're so good and the specific ways in which they're good is less exciting because this is the thing. The Lakers are also really good in the paint, but like, they're good with, like, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. You don't know what those people are going to do. Dwight Howard might <laughs> foul out of the game because he just got ticked off and, like, got a technical foul in the first two minutes. JaVale McGee is gonna, is, has been playing great, but he's still vulnerable to, like, specific matchups. And, you know, there's yeah. still the nightly incongruence of play. There's still this this variance to their style of play. Um, and also, obviously, duh, they have LeBron James, which is fun on the court and fun off the court generally. Um, and I think the Bucks also, they're just, they have a bunch of nice guys. You know, I think the quote was Chris Middleton said, there's no assholes in this locker room. We don't allow that. <laughs> assholes are fun to cover sometimes from a media perspective. They're just, wasn't that the, the Warriors thing too? The I just feel like there's so many there. contradictions here right now because the, the, that was the Warriors. Like the the last team. Three what are you talking oh, yeah. about? Draymond's definitely an okay, asshole. Okay, I get like, there, like, there is that not, like, so even but, though but I he's die. It's interesting because when when um you know my perspective of him and obvious obviously that's you know the take on Draymond but but the feel of it when he's around you know KD and Clay and Steph is just that he's the odd little you know he's the odd other brother. Um, and like, you, you don't get the same sense of like the, you know, like the bad boys that you got from like those Pistons teams or, you know, or like the Bruce Bowen types in, in San Antonio and things like this. No, that anyway. isn't a collective bad boyness, but I mean, there are, there's like <laughs> nightly moments a game. Like if Draymond gets three stops against you, he's going to scream to the top of his lungs at the bench of the crowd. You know, like he had the whole incident with Paul Pierce where Paul Pierce started talking trash to him and he told Paul Pierce, they don't love you like they love Kobe. You're not getting this retirement <laughs> tour. And then Paul Pierce just like literally shut down and you could see it on his face. Like there was just yeah. nightly. Giannis does flex, though. I mean, it's not like the that we're getting a total lack of, you know, sort of showing of dominance. No, no, no. It's not that. It's just it's just different. I think it's objectively different. Like like I said on Twitter, like the ways their systematic destruction of opponents is less interesting than like pre KD Warriors or even the Heatles. Like, do you feel like this is what the heat what it was like watching the Heatles? I mean, there were too many star personalities there. There were, yeah, there was more personality. There was more personality. And they lost in a very high-profile way at the beginning, too. And they were so hated, also. Definitely. And the Bucks, well, I mean, is it boring that the Bucks simply aren't hated? That they're that good? They're full of good guys and they aren't hated? Is it really just boring because they're not watched? Do you you think they're just kind of, like, undercovered in a certain way? Can we well, give them a great nickname and then people will, will like, what's the version of the Heatles? What is I, it? 
I guess what I'm saying is it's a feedback loop. They're objectively less <laughs> interesting than these other teams, and then they're also not covered, maybe because they're objectively less interesting. And so it just creates a cycle of them sort of being less interesting. Who should interesting. they trade for? Who should they trade for? Is it Swaggy P? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is, they that, just, is that a start? They just need one person to like get attention for doing absolutely nothing. Like Kyle Kuzma, just put Kyle oh, Kuzma on the I team. Got, how this is what they they need somebody with better social media presence. Yeah, they need something. It's they need kind Joel of a joke, Embiid. but it's true. Joel Embiid is yeah. the best. He, he's the best social media <laughs> presence in the NBA. And then this is the other thing on the on-court product. Like, I don't think, like, okay, it's unfair to the Bucks for us to question them to the degree that we do because they did get to the conference finals. They were, they were like, one overtime away from going up 3-0 and likely making it to the finals. Um, you know, they have the reigning MVP and someone who's probably going to win a second MVP, back-to-back MVPs. But at the same time, like, Okay, we start going down the list. Brooke Lopez is maybe the second most important player. Then Chris Middleton. Uh, then, um, wow, now I'm blanking. Uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe, yeah, Bledsoe. And then, like, after that, it's like George Hill and Dante DiVincenzo. And it's sort of like... <laughs> hey, you really like Dante DiVincenzo. I that do, dude puts up it, numbers. But it's, it's sort of like... Re- and then it's like Pat, it's like we're going to be counting on Pat Connaughton put back dunks to score in serious moments <laughs> in the playoffs. We're going to be counting on Dante well, Vincenzo to step up. It's like it's fair to question that, I think. Every team like, has those moments, though. I mean, Dante, well, I was going to I was going to say surprise, too. I'm going to say Dante's going to I was going to say Quinn Cook did it for the Warriors last year, of course, but that, that didn't turn out well for them. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but every team has, has that player who you wouldn't expect to be scoring. And actually they only score like two buckets and you know, it can be like they only score four points in a game and, and, you know, 10 points over the series, but they hit them at just the right moment. No, no, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that these bit players for the Bucks are more ingrained in their system. They're more, they're not only bit players. They're like being counted on and they're going to be counted yeah. on. Like when the Warriors ca- have to like rely on Quinn Cook, something has gone wrong. Like, do you <laughs> think they're going to run 10 deep in the playoffs? Is that what you're trying to say? No, Ilya Silva will get played off the court as will possibly Robin Lopez. <laughs> I mean, we haven't really seen Bud just play Giannis like 40 minutes like that's not how they that's not their philosophy so I mean if they're going to keep Giannis's minutes down that means someone's going to be on the court they might have to play him that many minutes I think his minutes are going to go up yeah yeah I think I think that they really risk losing him you know come his free agency if they don't put him in a position to win and that is the most likely way for him to win and obviously you don't do it over the course of a season it's you know it's Too hard. He's only averaging 31 a game this season, which I think is down from others. And he's been getting a lot of extra time recently because they've been blowing out teams by plus 20, and he's you know sitting out for most of the fourth quarter. Right. Right. Yeah. Someone should tell James Harden that if he scores his <laughs> 40 points in three quarters, he can rest in the fourth. Or quarter. if he lets other people score along yeah. with him, then yeah. he might be able to sit down in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. There are different ways to win basketball that. games, James Harden. I think he's interested in his numbers, but anyways. (laughs) All right. A couple more topics to get to. Um, The Celtics cannot solve the Sixers. And 
also um, a, a slightly different topic. Kemba can't solve LeBron. Both of you guys had observations on this. Uh, either one of you take it. Go ahead, Kyle. Well, the Celtics obviously have the um, the lifetime series against the Sixers pretty well wrapped up. Um, I think it'll take several decades for the Sixers <laughs> to catch up in that. But the Sixers have won the last four. Um, going back to the last game uh, at the end of last season, um, they they won on opening night, they won in December, and then they won again on the 10th of January. Um, and it's a good thing for the Sixers. You know, for a long time, the Celtics were the greatest hurdle for them. And uh, Ben Simmons yeah. in particular, I can remember a couple of those playoff series where he just sort of lost all composure in those last minutes of the game. He wouldn't take shots he, he, you know, because he was so hesitant. His passing wasn't as crisp and he just sort of looked really lost. Um, and it seemed like Boston's team play really was something that a young Sixers team couldn't match. Um, I, again, Same thing had, back in the 80s. Before yeah, the Sixers I, overcame it. I haven't been able to watch as much, you know, again, so I don't know to what extent Al Horford is playing a role in this. Um, it could just be general maturation as well. Um, but taking a player with that kind of poise from one team and putting him on the other uh, makes a big difference. And yeah. Uh, the effects are like, I don't know, quadruple fold. Like, there's no one to guard Embiid now because Al Horford is on Embiid's team. Um, there's no stretch big in the same way that there was. There's no secondary or tertiary playmaker as like a hub at the elbows to pass. Yeah. Um, uh, and roll man to pass in like the roll out of the pick and roll. It's just it's just not the same. They they're They're definitely missing Al Horford, I think, the Celtics. Yeah, and one of the big matchups today is the Celtics against the Lakers. Kemba, um, it's been revealed, is unfortunately 0-28 against LeBron. Does it change today? I don't. Think I, so. don't think to, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't. I don't think LeBron doesn't usually lose these marquee matchups very often. And he did get AD back today, so um, it is not looking good for the Celtics. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Kemba's supposed to play, but um, Jalen Brown has been injured, so I don't know if he's playing. He's coming back today too. Okay. Uh, somebody else is still out there. I want to say on the Celtics, is it Kemba? Is it the Time yeah. Lord? Time Lord's definitely no, he's out for a couple out. more weeks. Yeah, but I want to say with somebody, Jalen Brown oh. is back. Did you say that? I was. I yeah, Jalen's yeah. supposed to play today. Uh, Jalen and Kemba are the two who have okay. been okay. injured recently. And, of course, Marcus Smart has had some really great games in the 11 three-pointers. 11 for Wild. 22. Yeah, that's crazy. I was really happy for him. <laughs> yeah. His I shooting just... is improving, right? I think if you look at his efficiency numbers season to season, he's much better. Yeah, he was, at, he was around 40% for a significant stretch of the season. Uh, I don't know what he's at right now, but before yeah, he sure. like got injured, he was at 40% for a while. Yeah, uh, I think it's an indictment on Steve Kerr that uh, Steph Curry's never taken 22 threes in a game. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Steve Nash both should have. Um, yeah. He's uh, okay. 35% from the from three this year, Marcus okay. Smart. Okay. 
Um, and one last thing I wanted to add about the Celtic Sixers was that that last win um, in January here was without Embiid. This was um, after the injury, and uh, they they had a nice comeback in you know one by ten points, and so um, that's a significant win for them in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and we should say the Celtics have been struggling. They're two and six in their last eight games, and like you said, they lost to. Um, they lost to the Sixers without Embiid, and the Sixers themselves <laughs> have been losing some games to bad teams of late. They dropped all the way down to, I think, the sixth seed. Yeah, the Sixers are currently the sixth seed in the East. At yeah, well, that that happened a little little before too, because they're six and two now with Embiid out. Um, ben Simmons has played some of the best basketball of his career. They they faltered a little bit while Embiid was still mm-hmm. playing. And Kyle O'Quinn has filled in surprisingly well. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, before we move off, I guess this is more Sixers question, but how would you feel as a Sixers fan about an Embiid or Ben Simmons trade, which I don't think is going to happen. Like, this is fictional, but like, or any other trade, like, what do you think they need? Wow, that's a tough one. You know, part of me feels like the... The Embiid Simmons situation is very fraternal. That um, you know, we're talking about brothers a lot today. Just like they got drafted onto a team in the process, right? And uh, and part of me really just wants to see these kind of odd fit players break through. But I can completely un you know. Th- but that's also to say that if there was a trade, I would completely understand it because they are such an odd fit uh, that. I think that Embiid needs more shooting around him to be really effective. And, um, he, I mean, really he needs someone who can also hit their free throws at the end of games. And I don't know. Uh, I definitely think that if something were to happen, it would be a Ben Simmons trade and not an Embiid. I don't think that anything is going to happen. In fact, I don't think that um, – I don't think we're going to see anything for the next couple of years uh, with either of them. Yeah, it's funny because they both need the same thing, which is spacing and shooting, uh, which means they don't really need each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so a callback to uh, the beginning of the episode, uh, before I forget to include it in this episode, the very first indigenous Australian player, Nathan Jawai, who does not seem to have had much of an NBA career. But um, that's who it was. Patty Mills was second. And our last topic of today, uh, my poor Brooklyn Nets and poor Kyrie Irving. Um, He has said some things lately that have not gone over well, let's say. Uh, Most most recently, he baffled teammates with his Irving Irving comment, uh, where he basically said, hey, the Nets haven't won a championship since they were last led by a guy named Julius Irving. The implication being that, hey, me, the guy saying that, my name is Kyrie Irving, Irving Irving Championship. Predictably, his teammates looked at him baffled, um, and he has taken some huge hits in the media over this. Um, Any thoughts as we get into this? I think, Michael, I sense that you're going to come to his defense, right? I am. That you feel feel sympathetic for him. I do. 
And I think so. Can just, you, so so I think you, I, you can understand the you can understand the context why that why the media would would oh, would latch on to this. Of course, it's, because it's, he said a lot of bad things. He and about his teammates that, this year. Yeah, well, his teammates this year, and there's there's how he left Cleveland. There is the track record in Boston, which looks terrible. And so there are a couple of points I think worth making here. One is simply, uh, and, and so besides the Irving Irving, we need to mention that uh, in a post-game interview, uh, after being asked by a reporter what else the Nets needed, he said they needed one more piece. A pretty reasonable answer for a team struggling. We hear teams spokespeople, we hear team stars, we hear team not stars say this repeatedly throughout the season. We need more one, one more piece. We've heard LeBron say it nearly every season for his entire career. We saw, you know, it's implicitly what Kawhi did bringing Paul George into the Clippers last year. You know, we see this kind of statement every year and Kyrie got crushed for it, partly because he didn't say it well, partly because he doubled down on it afterward. But I think he's being actively misunderstood here. Um, and, and so I think in his defense, we need to acknowledge this is a kind of thing that gets said all the time. Agree? Disagree? I think the Brooklyn gets, Nets context should matters, silver linings yeah. playbook uh, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. I think they should all silver right. linings playbook Kyrie Irving. They just need to concoct this reality where, I don't know, everything they do is crazier than everything he does. So... Yeah, I don't know. It puts his behavior in a context that he's able to see or something. I don't know. Uh, or they should they should have like a team meeting excluding him and just say, listen, guys, we're we're not going to stop Kyrie from saying what he wants to say. We're not Joe Harris. We're not trading you. You're obviously super important to this team. You're a part of the core. Um, just, you know, let Kyrie say what he wants. You know, we'll we'll we've got the hand on the reins. Everything will be fine. So. Yeah. Well, I there's don't know. also the, I'm also joking, the, but there's also the part where every player who, who who you're right that people say this all the time. Players are always comparing themselves to prior generations and to the greats. I think the thing that you're neglecting to mention, though, is that they take heat when it happens too. When they say it too, when when LeBron compares himself to Michael Jordan when he hasn't won six rings yet, I mean, it's a talking point. I mean, it's going to be drummed up, you know, by your Skip Baylesses and all over for as long as they can get run out of it, you know. And Le- yeah, absolutely. And LeBron's never said that he thought the Earth was flat. Right. No, I think, and I think that's part of the issue and um, brings up a part of this, I think is worth discussing. Um, You know, Kyrie's getting criticized here in part simply because he's Kyrie. LeBron um, is not getting criticized in the same way for bringing in AD, for instance, or, you know, all of the discussion about the next piece that the Lakers might need to make this playoff run. That stuff isn't happening with LeBron because he is LeBron. And so one of the things going on here is a concept called the fundamental attribution error. Kyrie is being criticized because we're attributing all of this to Kyrie and not attributing at least some of this to the situation. The Nets are in a particular situation. They are a team struggling, and a lot of this comes out of that. And 
just as human beings trying to explain things, that has to be acknowledged as well. Yeah, I mean, I think like we I think it's cool to talk about like a, a theory, a unified theory on like why Kyrie elicits the reaction that he does, incites the reaction that he does. And I think it's partly because like, I don't know, when you're playing sports as an athlete, right, there's this sort of like walk off the bus moment, right, where you yeah. see you see who you're about to play against, right? And whether yeah. that's baseball or basketball and how the person comports themselves matters, right? So it's like in baseball, I feel like if we saw, if I saw someone uh, growing up playing baseball who had on like six different arm sleeves and wristbands and I, I would <laughs> I would assume this person is either really good or really bad because they're yep. important it takes a, a certain amount of confidence to wear all this stuff and like uh, oh, yeah. draw, draw the attention to yourself and I feel like Kyrie basically he talks in a way that people feel he hasn't earned because he's right. won a championship but he won it with uh, LeBron and he just comports himself like a superstar of the highest order which I don't think many like of the smartest basketball basketball minds agree with. Like, I think Kyrie is right. better than Steph Curry. And I think most people in the NBA would disagree with that. You know, I think Kyrie right. probably thinks of himself as a top five or top eight player, top 10 player. And I don't know how many people would agree with that. You know, so I think he's sort of doing the things that people of the ilk that he believes he is in <laughs> do, yeah. but he's not in that ilk. Therefore people respond negatively to it. Uh, and that's, and that's before, that's before we get to the fact that like half of it is just babble and like, yeah. <laughs> sure. And, and you know, those sorts of things. Right. Well, in the, in, well, in what I'll, you I'll just said, I have to add one other thing here, Kyle, uh, just yeah. because it sort of relates, um, you, you know, the, uh, you know, as a superstar, one of the things that happens with a big contract, which Kyrie was just given, is there's sometimes, and maybe all the time, some expectation of leadership. And Kyrie has been given this mantle with the Nets, and Kyrie, that's never going to be Kyrie's strong suit, as far as I can tell. It's also not going to be KD's strong suit. It may be a problem with this Brooklyn Nets rebuild. Yeah, I agree. I'll grant you the fundamental attribution error and in part <laughs> in part you. in part, well, in part I'll do it to to bolster <laughs> my predictions at the beginning of the season that the nets wouldn't make the playoffs it looks now like they probably will because the east is just worse than what <laughs> right. i could have even thought yeah but and they, that they really they're they're really struggling yeah they're really struggling in all the ways that i thought that they would that they they lost a ton of talent uh, on that team and and they brought back a lot of talent but half of it's sitting out for the season and i just didn't think that they had shored up the yeah. you know just the requisite bodies to sure. get them through a season they'll probably still come in seven or eight seed in there right um but but it is it's true you know Kyrie is 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 this whole, you know, I'm in the league of greatness is being misread partly because they're struggling and they're struggling because they are ill-suited right now to win big basketball games. Right, right. I also, I also think that, like, there's a certain amount of – and maybe we shouldn't expect this of athletes, but, like, Kyrie is – sort of has these – 
not irrational, but maybe like wrong-headed, slightly outsized views of himself in the same way that Dion Waiters does. But like <laughs> Dion Waiters is like destructive more to himself than his own team because he he is even less, you know, good than he thinks he is. Whereas Kai, Kyrie, <laughs> can be, Kyrie can be destructive to his own team because he actually is pretty darn good. So right. it's like when, when he does these sorts of things, it actually has a rippling effect instead of the team just immediately trading him or like banishing him to the bench and never playing him again, which is what you can do with Dion Waiters. So I think there's that. And then I also think there's an expectation <laughs> in polite society that people have some sort of, um, you know, idea about how they sound about context and about self-awareness um which i think Kyrie seems to lack like Kyrie came back from missing 20 games and the first and within the first three games he started criticizing his teammates that's just not that's just yeah. not smart in any and scenario. they were winning while he was out and this is yeah. the, the second yeah. situation in a row where the team won when he he was out yeah it, it's like even if we tried not to be a objective about it like if we were trying to curry favor for Kyrie we would advise him don't do this <laughs> don't criticize your teammate of course, of course. coming back from injury right if he could just pick up one rule for the rest of his career I would make it that um I think it would help him quite a bit the one last thing I want to say about the Kyrie discussion is something I've seen in a lot of the media and a lot of the talking heads uh, in recent years there have been mental health initiatives from the NBA that I think have been helpful for a lot of players I think we're seeing it in uh, what's happening with Kevin Love in Cleveland I would suggest that some of his outburst is uh, partly a manifestation of him suffering from a mental illness I don't know what Kyrie's specific situation is but the one thing i do want to talk about is the language that is being used to discuss these mental health issues uh in the nba in journalism isn't that great and it would be wonderful if there could be something else the nba does to help remove the stigma attached to mental health issues uh, i think it would go a long way toward uh helping some people suffering from these things yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I feel like I feel like there needs to be more education amongst the media and the people within the NBA, because um, I feel like there's a tendency to relate, you know, I don't know, public outbursts or, yeah. or you know, odd behavior, you know, uh, in any manner, any manner uh, to someone's mental health issues, which I don't which maybe maybe I'm being too reluctant to do that. But I feel like we shouldn't necessarily jump to those conclusions uh, too quickly. I, and agree. I feel like I, well, I absolutely don't want to over pathologize. It will, but one of the things I'm responding to here is the number of times Kyrie has been called, and I'm doing some air quotes that nobody can see. He's been called crazy. I don't know how many times. Yeah, and he's not. <laughs> he's just yeah. not. He may be troubled. He may be having a difficult time coming back to his team. He may not be the greatest leader, but I don't think we should be calling him that. Yeah, well, totally. So can I can I say one thing about the flat Earth thing? Because so the what the what his flat Earth belief signals to me in part is that he has a difficult time being part of a social, right? Because it's saying I'm unwilling to believe the thing that everyone else believes because I don't experience that. 
right? I mean, yeah, that's really the only thing that you can say about like not believing that the earth is round is that my experience says that it's flat. And I just feel like that carries over at least in some way to the, the troubles that he's had on his teams. I mean, like that it's, it's not a terrible analogy in my mind, at least for what, what we hear coming out of Boston before and then coming out of Brooklyn now where he doesn't seem to be able to buy into situations in the way that, that would foster team building. And I think you've said it really well, Kyle, like you just explained it extremely well in a way it hasn't been explained extremely well in any uh, piece of journalism I've seen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, not being <laughs> able to be part of the social, I think if I'm saying it correctly, is it pretty much describes his game. You know, it's individualistic, it's virtuosic, it's amazing, but you're not always sure how best to fit it into the whole. He needs to like it, the the best thing somebody could give to him if somebody in his circle happens to be listening to our podcast. Emotional intelligence, interpersonal skills, go help him. Yeah, I think I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, that seems like a perfect place to end week fourteen for Shot Tower. We are turning off the Phantom Power. Cheers.